Coming up next on today's Strongcast, we've got the bizarre Rick Harrison. <laughs> the bizarre Rick Harrison. The chat about his background and life story and what has made him the man he continues to be today. Why he can always have that magical touch and what, no matter what he touches, it turns to gold and it empowers you along the way. Well, it's not the Pond Stars, it's the Strongcast up next. Today's strong cast brought to you by Larka, the first nationwide on-demand video therapy app now launched in the Apple Store. The product is modernizing mental health care, access across the country, and raising the bar, the necessary bar for teletherapy with elevated service, standards, and unprecedented features. Visit them today and tell them Mr. Strong sent you. So, you know, uh, someone just walked in um, our studio and said, oh, man, that's Rick Harrison. <laughs> yeah. I just visited your store. You did? No, that's why. Oh, yeah, yeah she, she, yeah, she visited the store. Um, so we're, I don't know how a pawn shop became the number one non-gaming tourist destination in Vegas, but it is. I mean, I get more visitors every year than Hoover Dam does. So how did you get started, Rick? How did it all start for you? Um... How the show started or how my weird, bizarre how did, life? How did, how did your life get started? Um, your parents. Well, I mean, no, I'm literally my uh, my father. Um, when he was 17, him and two of his buddies decided to borrow a truck without asking. <laughs> and the judge said, well, son, you want to um, go to jail? You want to go in the military? He said, I want to go in the military. Uh, and uh, he met my mom at a barn dance. My dad met my mom at a barn dance. He my dad lied about his age. He was 16, but said he was 17 uh, because my mom was a year older than him. And uh, they got married in 1958. And, um, you know, uh, I was born in 1965. My dad was stationed in San Diego. Um, we, they ended up getting uh, transferred to San Diego. I was born in North Carolina. And um, how my life really, the really beginning of the story story of my life is when I was eight years old and I had my first epileptic seizure. Oh, wow. And uh, when I was a kid, I had, uh, I had epilepsy and the, um, the seizures were so bad, sometimes I wouldn't walk for weeks. Uh, they would tear the muscles in my back and my legs and things like that. And I fell in love with reading. Um, and um, the kismet of the world, I fell in love with this. The first set of books I fell in love with was about uh, John D. Fitzgerald, The Great Brain, about an eight-year-old kid uh, growing up in the 1890s in Utah, and he kept on coming up with all these schemes to make money, and uh, I absolutely loved him. Um, I, um, you know, my dad was in Vietnam. My mom's uh, trying to make a little money on the side doing real estate and raise three kids. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money, you know what I mean? So um, there was no definitely no television in my bedroom so I fell in love with books when I was eight years old and uh, what did I, you find yourself reading the classics uh, I, I just what, anything what, what anything history anything history I, anything history I absolutely loved it sort of fell in love with physics when I was like 12 years old and um, my parents uh, when my dad got out of the Navy they were in real estate and you know everything went bad in 1980 because we know how bad that was um, and uh, interest rates was out of yeah the, yeah the we roof. had yeah no one's buying a house at a 20 percent uh, Interesting. So we moved to Vegas. He opened up a little shop, and I always bought and sold things. So, as a naive 22-year-old, uh, I go down to the Las Vegas business license and say, "Hey, can I get a pawn license?" And they go, "No." How old were you at the time? 22. Uh, and well, uh, why, why a pawn license? Because I'd always bought and sold stuff. 
you know, and... Um, now, when did you start buying and selling stuff? Oh, I was, um, you know, 12 years old, running around swap meets trying to find silver spoons and stuff like that because my brother had a fake ID. He could sell them at the pawn shop for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is just something. It's not something that necessarily was in your DNA. It's just something you had a propensity towards selling and buying and selling Buying things. and selling stuff, and um, I... Uh, I found a little flaw in the city code. I got the first pawn license issued in Vegas in 33 years. Uh, because, uh, and, um, you know, I, I quickly learned in business when I was young that, um, you know, all the other pawn shops in Vegas were owned by large nationwide chains, and I couldn't compete directly with them. You know, you can't go head to head with um, Walmart, so I decided to be Tiffany and they could be Walmart. You know, I, I have to tell you this I am actually fascinated with pawn shops, uh, and I can't tell you why. I find myself in a very private way. I don't care if I'm in Europe, if I'm in the United States, I don't care where I am. Why are we so attracted to pawn shops? So what is it about pawn shops? Because uh, it doesn't matter what your class is. Doesn't matter your wealth. You doesn't doesn't matter. It's sort of like the intro of my show. You never know what you're going to get when you walk in. There's always something different there. I mean, um, I guess it's sort of like gambling. You walk in the door, you don't know what you're going to find. Yeah, and um, I, uh, I absolutely. You know, I figured I just had to be the best that there was. And, um, I mean, it was in the early 90s. I made sure I always had, like, Picassos and things like that hanging on the wall. And Were they real? Oh, yeah. How did you how did you gain access to Picassos? Well, I like the lithographs and stuff like that. They're not that hard to come by. Um, and then, because um, I, I wanted it when people came to my shop, because I was right on Las Vegas Boulevard. Like, they told all their friends, you got to go check out this pawn shop in Vegas. I mean, they got Picassos on the wall. They got Super Bowl rings in the case. They got, and, um... Eventually, it led into a TV show. For four years, I pitched a TV show. Everyone kept on telling me that uh, no one watched, wanted to watch a show about four fat guys in a pawn shop. And then, uh, before you know it, um, you know, I've done 511 episodes. I'm on uh, 150 countries, 38 languages. Why, why do you think, uh, I mean, you have a very affable personality, very warm, you're a people's person, and you're sincere. So that is obvious. And obviously, there's something about you that is very trusting, even for somebody meeting you mm -hmm. at the first time. What do you think separates you from others who've attempted this? But, I mean, it has just gone well, beyond I, your wildest imagination. Well, I mean, because I've, I've, there's been, like, I think there was, like, 38 different pawn shop shows that have been tried to copy mine. And um, one of the first things is when I watch the, the, their shows, I realize they don't know what they're talking about. Because it really is me. I really am that uber nerd. Uh, don't ask me anything about popular culture or anything like that because... I don't watch television really, which is really bad for a guy in the television business. But uh, no, I read books every single night, and um, I love history. And uh, what, what did you mean when you said the competition had no idea what they were talking about, and how that really resonated? Well, no, I mean, the, no, yeah. there's some, there's some meaning there. You're saying something. I mean, because, like I said, I mean, I mean, uh, I was in the pawn business, so you know, I read every book I could about cameras. I read every book about guns. I read every, you know. So you knew what was in your store, and yeah. you could talk about it. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, like, especially when it comes to antiques or comes to art or something like that, they don't buy the item, they buy the story. Oh! Okay, because if I, if, you know... They buy the narrative. Yeah, I mean, like, if I throw throw a, you know, a 400-year-old samurai sword in front of me and say it's a samurai sword, you go, okay. That's true. But then That's I start true. explaining to you about how the, the, reason, the, the reason why a samurai sword is made this way and hasn't changed in over a thousand years is because they came up with the perfect sword. That's why they never had to change it, because they developed a way to continually fold the steel over a hundred times, and then the, and finally, when they're done with the sword and, and they temper 
temper it, okay? That's how the uh, the blade is super sharp, but the rest of the steel is malleable, and it literally is the, you know, they buy that story, and everyone loves that story. You go out and buy an antique or something like that, it's the story behind it that makes it so valuable. It's not actually the item. Does it matter? The age and the the location that it's coming from, who owned it, the, do those places do those uh, well, places? Play I, a role? What plays the biggest role in what people are looking for? Well, it's like it's a it's supply and demand, basically. You know, mm -hmm. how many people want it? Uh, the cooler the story, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times who owned it, you know. Um, a sword owned by uh, George Washington is going to be worth a lot more than a sword owned by Bob. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're listening to the Strongcast, available today on iTunes. You, you know, it's, 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 an, it's, it's entrepreneurship at, at, at its best. But obviously, you must bring a certain value and a certain virtue to your enterprises. Um, yeah, I mean, I... Um I've always been a really charitable guy. Um, I do, I, like I said, I'm on the board of directors of the Epilepsy Foundation. Uh, I give that a lot of work to that. Um, and I always try and give back, always have. And you and you have six kids. Six kids, yes. You've been busy. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, they're great. It's a little brain damage sometimes, but it's great. <laughs> How many kids you got? None. Probably a smart man. <laughs> no, but uh, no, it's. Um, you know, family is the crown jewel of life. Mm -hmm. It is the sustenance of life. You may not have realized it early on, but it's it's what gives you a purpose. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, yeah. I think it's being a dad is one of the great greatest things. In the no world. matter the challenges. Yeah, because you grow every time they grow. Um, yeah, and then, well, you know, and then I get a lot more. That's why I have no hair is because <laughs> I have so many kids. But uh, another was great. it always playing that way? Um, no, it just sort of fell fell that uh, you know, the chips fell where fell where they lay, and uh, I think it's the great. You know, I love having kids. I really do. So, we can tell. Yeah, that, that, that part is obvious. But obviously, do you like being a good being a father, though? No, I love it. You I, do. Uh, um, Are you good at it? Um, I like to think I am. You know, there's no instruction book. There's no rating system. You know what I mean? I try and be a good dad. You know, um, I guess. I, I, tell, uh, me, tell the difference, the difference from the from the first child you had versus your last. Uh, I'm a lot more patient. You know, um, I. Uh, I've been there before, so I know how to deal with things a little bit better. You know, um, it's, uh, you know, it's just being a parent is just a little bit of patience and you have to realize a lot of times, hey, I love my kids to death. I'm not their friend, I'm their father. Well, that's Still married to the same woman? No. Second woman? Third, actually. Third. Yes. What was that like? Um, Kept trying until you found the right mix. Well, you know, it just—it's you know way life goes. Um, I met Deanna seven years ago. She's got, she had three girls. I got three boys. We're the Brady Bunch. Okay. 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 So, yeah. so I want to get to because I like the family. So I want to get to what brings you to D.C. and what you're doing now, and okay. what your your project is now. Um, I've. Uh, there's a reason why I've been on television so long. Okay. okay. And the thing is, people people really do love to learn, but they don't want to be. They like to learn from their uncle. You know, they don't want to learn from a professor with his nose pointing down at you. And uh, I true, I, I I'm really really frustrated with the public education system in this country. Um, you walk into a classroom today; it's no different than it was 100 years ago, except maybe a kid's in the back room playing with his phone. Um, you know. Kids are different than they were 
even 10 years ago. They all have phones, they're all on social media, and schools hate the phones, and they hate the social media, and they hate the internet and all this other stuff, but it's not going away, so why not use it? Um, what I, I what I really want to do is I want to try and get a pilot program going with Department of Education or somebody where I can, you know, do well-produced five, six-minute videos of the famous people we don't know of, like, but the famous to younger people, like all the YouTubers. You take a YouTuber actor, you get a teacher and a writer together, and you make something fun and interesting and funny. And the teacher goes, hey, you know, this week we're going to do a report on uh, Abraham Lincoln. Watch this video. They have a little five or six-minute video. Get the kids excited about it. Make them laugh a little bit. And at the end of that video, say, hey, and here's all the other resources you can do to finish this report. So, you know, about the founding fathers, about we can do this with math. You just, if you get a kid excited about it, the first three or four minutes is what, what counts. You get them excited about it, you make them laugh a little bit, now they're interested. So you want to make it fun again? I want to, you know, I make it, want to make it fun, I want to make it interesting, I want to make it easy to learn. You know, there is... The current system is is literally the kids just you, know, you walk into a classroom, turn to page twenty seven, do do this. Um, I can make things interesting. That's I mean, one of the reasons why my show is successful. Example is a couple of years ago, uh, someone walks in with an eighteen nineties printing press. You know, an eighteen nineties personal printing press has became a real big, big, big fad in the United States. And um, most kids, you would show them that, and they go, yeah. But if you say, well, listen, this was the internet of the 1890s. Suddenly, you could you could put your message out to the masses. You could make your own personal newsletter. You could make broadsides. You can make you could you make up little protest uh, flyers or posters and post them all over town and do it anonymously. This was literally the internet of the day, and then that gets a kid interested when he starts le learning things like that. This is revolutionary, you know. But if you can put all this on like a social media platform, and then you know, just have a, have a companion to it where your parents go, like, this is what your kids are studying. This is the kind of videos they're watching. This is something to talk about at the dinner table. You're making it relatable. Yeah, I want to make it relatable yeah. and fun to, I mean, if you make something fun to learn, they'll watch it. There's a reason why I've been so successful with my television show. I can make history fun to learn. So how do we, the public, help you in your new venture? Um, I don't know yet. I've just started this. Oh, came come to, on. you got to give us a better answer than I, that. I've came to D.C. I've, uh, I'm going around. I'm talking to people and say, how, how can we get this thing started? But and how I, can I, we help that's you? why I'm talking to people like you, because I want to figure out a way to get it done. I already know how I can help you, but I want to. I want you to ask to tell the public how they can help you, how, because this is sort of like in the um, embryonic stages. Um, you're still fleshing it out. Call, you're still call up your congressman and tell him to help out Rick. Rick out Rick Harrison. Help Rick Harrison Productions make learning fun again. And that's really what I do. I want to make it, it fun. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, it's, you remember going to school and like just sitting, the teacher just telling you, okay. And you had to go, but if they made it a little bit exciting to begin with, it would have been way different. Especially if we're talking about STEM, the science, the technology, engineering, and the yeah. math. We I mean, really need to make that fun again. I mean, because studies have shown that like, uh, you can have a very small classroom size with a bad teacher, or you can have a really large classroom size with a good teacher, the large classroom's gonna do better. If you can do something really super quality and good, they'll learn so much easier, they really will. You know, it's, uh, it's just, it's just common sense, but they're, you know, we're talking about you know, working with government and everything, and a lot of that common sense doesn't apply. Recapping the show, I'm Armstrong Williams, and Rick Harrison is our guest. Thank you for joining us.